Kia ora, I'm Madison Reedy, and you're listening to the Deloitte Private Podcast On Point. Being a business owner is anything but easy, especially when challenges like COVID-19 come your way. In this podcast, we'll chat to some of the best Kiwi entrepreneurs who've come out the other side of crises before. We'll find out how they turned failures into fuel and self-doubt into success. Expect stories from the startup trenches and guidance about growth directly from those who've done it. This is On Point. It's yogurt, but not as you know it. Raglan Food Co. is disrupting dairy with its products made from coconut. It all started in Letitia Randall's kitchen. It now holds a majority market share. Her company supplies their plant-based food products to over 600 stores in New Zealand, Singapore, Hong Kong, China and the Pacific Islands. With a strong commitment to sustainability and social causes, they've nabbed numerous awards. And Tesh, well, she's done it all. She's an author, a celebrant, a personality coach, and an entrepreneur who's made it onto the Forbes 30 Under 30 list. Tesh, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. So take us back to making yogurt in your kitchen. Started at 10 jars a week, selling it just to Raglan locals. Did you ever expect to be selling 100,000 jars a month? (laughs) No, no, I definitely didn't. Um, When we started, it was just a total kind of fluke thing where uh, Seb had realized that he was intolerant to dairy. And so I was just making yogurt at home to just really feed ourselves with something that was dairy free no intention to sell it or start a business with it, Um, but made a few extra jars one day, offered them to the locals, and, yeah, everyone was really into it to the point that they all wanted it again the next week and then the shops wanted it, and it just kind of spiraled from there. So it's, yeah, it's been um, a lot to keep up with and and nothing that I ever expected to be doing. (laughs) I bet. How overwhelming was that spiralling of demand in the beginning? Oh, it was nuts. I mean, we were... We were up till all hours. We were literally up till midnight, hand stirring pots of yogurt. We were doing everything manually, so we're hand filling them. We're hand applying all the labels. Um, we were carrying equipment in and out of the community kitchen, storing stuff in our garage. Our garage was just overrun with glass jars and cardboard boxes and a big fridge to store yogurt in. It was it was a lot to <laughs> to do and to learn as well because we didn't know anything about running a food business it was all completely new so yeah definitely some moments of calling my family and being like help come down here and make some yogurt and they they ended up actually moving down from Dagobah so I had my mom my brother and my sisters were all helping out with the business as well so yeah it was nice to have some support in those early days amazing siblings turned staff we love it Mm -hmm. was there a moment for you where you realized this is a business this could become a big business Yeah, there was. We were making a few hundred jars a week and we're like, what are we doing with this? You know, we're already running an agency helping um, sustainable companies with their branding and strategy and marketing. So we're already quite busy with that. And then we're like, why are we doing this yogurt thing on the side? You know, where's where's this going? So we sat down and we we set a goal for it. And the goal was to sell a thousand jars a week. And we thought, okay, if we can sell a thousand jars a week, it's a proper little business. Then we can hire our hippie friends who don't have jobs, you know, <laughs> who are hanging out in Raglan, give them something to do. And, you know, it'll be a cool little business to, to have on the side. But then the thousand jars target we reached, I think, in the first six months. And from there it was like, okay, well, this, 
this clearly has potential. People love it. Like, let's see how far we can take this thing. Um, and then it was kind of full steam with the yogurt. That kind of growth and demand is absolutely incredible. But obviously there would have been struggles that came with that. Did you feel like you were constantly on the back foot and how did you keep up? Yeah, I think having a business is like that. Maybe, maybe especially at the beginning, but at all stages, you feel like you're running a bit behind because every time you grow, you have to change everything. So you kind of nail a system and a process for doing it on a small scale. Then you level up and you're like, oh no, nothing works anymore. We need a new process, a new system, new equipment, new everything. So you're kind of, you're trying to catch up with yourself. (laughs) Um, But I suppose it's a good problem to have because otherwise you're trying to force people to buy your product (laughs) to stay in business. Whereas we had the opposite problem and people just couldn't get enough of it. It does taste pretty good. What did you tell yourself every day to get yourself up and and, and get your team going as well when demand was going through the roof? Um, I think the the customer feedback was the biggest thing for me. Um, You'd wake up in the morning and then I'd, because I'm doing the social media, so you'd look at your Instagram or Facebook and you'd see all these comments and people tagging you and people posting photos and saying, oh, you know, I'm dairy intolerant. I've never been able to find a good yogurt. Now, finally, here's one that I love eating. Or I gave this to my sister who has eczema and this has really helped her. And, you know, people just saying how much they love it and what a sort of difference it's made in their diet. And so you're surrounded by that all the time. And then in the local community, because it's a small town that we're in, Whangarao Raglan, it's, you know, a few thousand people. So locally, people are proud of it and people are like recommending it to others and and asking if people can come work at the yogurt factory. And it just, yeah, all that sort of support from from customers in the community was was really motivating and really helpful on days where you just feel super stressed and like, how are we going to get all of this done in time? How crucial do you think it is to maintain and keep up that connection with your customers and future customers in those early days when everything is so crazy? I think it's essential. I was going out in person to all the stores. So I I did a big road trip around New Zealand with little chili bins of yogurt. And I was literally going into stores, not knowing anyone there and asking to talk to whoever was in charge of chilled and then having a chat with them about the yogurt and doing samplings and demos. And I've been to expos all around the country, meeting customers face to face and asking them what they like and what they don't like and what flavors they'd like to see. And I think Otherwise, you're flying blind. Like if you don't have any real-time feedback from the people who are actually buying the product, then you're just kind of making assumptions about what you think that they might like or not like. Um, yes, I think it's, it's essential. What would you say the major risks were that you took in the beginning of the business? The major risk, well, the first big risk was building our own factory. So we were first making it at home, then we are hiring a little community kitchen, which was far from ideal but we kind of made it work Um, and then very quickly we're like okay this isn't going to work anymore we need our own space so we built a shipping container kitchen Um, and so that was the first sort of major investment into the the company and getting proper equipment and getting ourselves established and then the next step was well we've built this thing but where are we going to put it we had the the container kitted out but we didn't have a site we didn't have anywhere we could rent we were trying to figure out if we could put it on some farmland, talking to local farmers. I mean, we were looking at everything because we knew if we couldn't move to that next stage, we were just going to go under. We, we couldn't keep up with demand in the community kitchen. Um, yeah, so that was the first kind of critical risk point. And we went through about three different sites with them all falling through for different reasons before we ended up being able to rent a building and put the, the shipping container kitchen in there. Um, and that's, yeah, we managed to do 
a few years in that in that spot, just gradually expanding and expanding and building out that kitchen and building out production rooms and chillers and things before then building our proper our, our current factory where we are now. Um, yeah, so it felt many times there when we couldn't find a site like this. How are we going to keep doing this? This is not going to work anymore. And we didn't want to move from Raglan because it was all all the staff are here and everything's. In Raglan, it wasn't like we just wanted to take off to Auckland and make yogurt there. You know, that was never the plan for for living in Raglan. So there was a real risk there for a moment where that massive demand could have actually, you know, it could have been make or break for you guys. Yeah, that's the reality with dealing with supermarkets. I mean, if you if, if you create the demand, so we created the demand, there, there wasn't really coconut yogurt before us. There was a brand in Australia exporting it here, and that was pretty small, one little company in Christchurch, but you couldn't really find it. And so we created this whole demand, and people were really into it. And then if you get those spots on supermarket shelves, but then you can't fill them, then someone else is going to come along and fill them. You know, some other big company is going to be like, oh, yeah, that's what we'll do. We're going to make coconut yogurt. And then they'll just move into your spot, and then that's it you're not going to get that spot back it's pretty ruthless so you really do have to keep up it's kind of keep up or go under looking back obviously everything is easier in hindsight Mm. anything you'd do differently (laughs) I do so many things differently (laughs) Um, where to even start I think we had that classic startup mentality where it was like okay everyone just pitches in and does everything so no one had no one had job descriptions or really specific roles. It was kind of like, yep, you make yogurt. You also do dispatch and then you um, deal with customers. And so it was we're very spread across lots of different things. Um, and then as we went along, we started realizing how important it is to people to have clearly defined roles and they really want to know exactly what it is that they're supposed to be doing. And so we got a lot better at that as we went along. Um, we would have done things much differently with the way we were packaging and shipping things. To start with, we were shipping boxes with 20, 20 big glass jars per box because the freight companies were charging us a per box rate. So our thinking was like, okay, well, we'll fit as many jars as we can into that one box. But then it was super heavy, and so they were having issues with breaking them, dropping them. Um, so we've ended up with six-unit cartons, which is industry standard, but we didn't know that at the time. Um so, yeah, we tried all sorts of things, corrugated cardboard and little t- putting dividers in between the lines of jars. I mean, we were just, we were really iterating and figuring it out as we went. Look at you now, though, I guess. Yeah, well, now now we're, we're established. <laughs> <laughs> the most established we've ever been. We have our own spot, you know, no one can kick us out of here. Um, we own the building and the land, so it's we're sort of here to stay now. And you managed to stay in Raglan. I guess you must be pretty proud of that. Yeah, that was always the goal and it seemed really hard to do because there's just not a lot of commercial land or buildings in Raglan, being a really small town. So when the site came available at the um, the new industrial park, which is just three minutes out of town, we were like, okay, this is our chance. We've got to make this happen. Um, yeah, so we've got enough enough space here to be here for hopefully the next seven to ten years, which is cool. Let's talk about innovation you're displacing dairy in a country that's obsessed with agriculture. No doubt you've faced a lot of flack throughout the years for that. What have naysayers said to you? <laughs> um, yes, I've, I've had my share of uh, amusing comments from from various uh, farmers, including my own grandparents who are you know, dairy farmers from way back. And, and my papa, when he first was given some yogurt, was like, oh, I don't know about this taste. And shouldn't you really put some milk in it? <laughs> but, but now he eats it every day. 
<laughs> he loves it now. Um, and I had a lot of similar comments from people when I'd be doing tastings or expos, people saying like, oh, well, that can't be yogurt and um, you should be using milk and how can it be good for you and don't you need calcium and, and all sorts of things. Um, but I think the reality is that there's just a growing awareness um, around climate change and around the impact that animal agriculture has on the land. Um, and people are, are shifting to eating more plants, more vegetables, um, less meat. And that, yeah, that trend holds true for dairy as well. So there's a lot of people looking, even if they don't have um, allergies or intolerances, and there are a lot of people who just literally can't, can't eat dairy. Um, they're just choosing it for other reasons, ethical, environmental, animal well-being, et cetera. So, yeah, it does feel like we're, we're on the right path. <laughs> Were you completely set on ignoring that criticism outright or did you take any of it on board? Um, oh, it didn't really affect me at all. I mean, I've been vegetarian since I was 18, so I've, I've been used to all these comments when you go out to a restaurant and you don't order meat and people are like, oh, wow, you know, how can you be healthy? You're not getting any meat. And so I've been explaining my way of eating to people for a long time. Um, and so dairy is just kind of a next step with that, really, on the plant-based thing. It's it's just people's personal opinions, and it's usually just because they're attached to the way that they already eat or they've grown up in, in that sort of farming families, and, and that's a huge chunk of our population. And, you know, that's just the way that humans have been eating for a really long time, and so it's quite a big shift to think, oh, maybe we don't need to be reliant on that. Maybe we don't need to depend on animals as a source of food. It's a it's quite a paradigm shift, um, and some people are open to it, and some people aren't, and that's just how it is. Is it quite exhausting having to prove your product day in and day out? I don't feel like we're having to prove it anymore. I feel like we're past that point. At the beginning, we were, and people had no idea what it was. And when I'd go in and show it to you know a buyer at Pack and Save, they'd be like, "No one's going to buy this. Like, people don't want dairy free yogurt in a glass jar that's so at this premium price point. Like they really didn't think it was going to work." But we're beyond that now. Like the numbers speak for themselves. The sales go up every year. People clearly love it. <laughs> I think it's proven. Yes, sales speak for themselves. What drives your decision making today when you're still coming up with new innovative ideas and products like new flavors? Um, new flavors. So we used to be very intuitive with it. We would we would just think about what's something we would like to eat. What's a flavor we would like? Um, and very much based it on our own personal preferences. And then come up with things and try them out. And now I think we're a lot more data-driven. So now we'll think of an idea and be like, okay, well, we like the sound of that. Would other people like that? And then we'll buy data. So we'll, we'll buy supermarket data and, and see what flavors are people buying, what categories are growing, what do people seem to be looking for, um, and then we'll tailor products around that. Um, yeah, so that's sort of shifted with time and experience, I guess. Because we did a few things that just didn't work. <laughs> you know, you might think it's a great idea. For example, I loved um, chai. I like chai lattes. So we made a banana and chai yogurt. And it had a hardcore following of about 300 people. <laughs> and you were one of them, so really just 299. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Reliably buying it every week and everyone else was like, this is weird. I don't like this. Um, so we're not going to make that mistake again. <laughs> what did you learn from that, though? Oh, well, you can't, your own personal opinion does not necessarily hold true across like a, a nation of 5 million <laughs> people. It doesn't matter how much you like it. You can't convince someone else to like it. Let's talk about the values of Raglan Food Co. What would you say are the core values of your business that drive every decision you make? 
Um, I reckon it comes down to people and planet for us. So what's good for people? What's good for the planet? How do we leave a positive rather than negative impact on people and the planet? Um, I think business tends to just focus on profit. That's that's the whole model of capitalism, <laughs> and it's been running that way for a really long time all across the world. So it's sort of a different way of coming at it, not thinking about how do we make more and more money, but how do we do more and more good? How do we leave something positive for other people to enjoy rather than kind of stealing things from future generations that they won't be able to get back? Is it possible, do you think, these days to be a profitable business while caring about people and the planet? I guess that's what we're trying to prove. Um, and not just us, but there's a whole bunch of other companies that are you know, focusing on this. We're a certified B Corporation, and that's sort of a growing movement around the world. I think there's about 4,000 certified B Corps now, um, and pretty new in New Zealand. But in order to do that, in order to get that certification, you have to look at every single area of your company. So you need to look at your governance, how you treat your customers, how you treat your staff, how you treat the environment, um, everything. Uh, you have to record and track and measure and analyze. And it, it's very, it holds you accountable to a very high standard. Um, and so just the fact that there are more and more companies wanting to get the certification and putting all those things in place, I think shows that people do want to run their businesses like that. Um, and they do want to be more accountable and they do want to leave a positive impact. Um, but whether that, you know, whether that model can sort of integrate with, with capitalism as it is and prove equally successful, I think that's still an experiment. But my gut feeling says that it, it'll work because um, people want to buy things that they believe in and that they know are doing more good than harm. You know, nobody wants to be part of the problem, um, but they just haven't had the options to choose from. You're not just B Corp certified. You're also a fair wage employer. You donate to charities to help feed Syrian refugees. You save Maui dolphins and you track and offset your emissions. Why is doing any of that worthwhile? Well, I think it comes down to what kind of person you want to be in the world. Um, for me, like my two values are connection and making a difference, my top two values. And so I've tried to bring those values into the business. Um, and you know, you can't, <laughs> you can't just go through unintentionally. Um, well you can, but it would be better not to, you know, if you put some intention into it and some thought into what you're doing, then you can not just create something that's good for you, but it's also good for others and it's good for the people who are in the team and it's good for the community. And these are just all different ways of doing that, like all the different initiatives we've done with beehives and picking up plastic from, you know, beaches around New Zealand. And these are all things that we care about personally as people and the people on the team care about. And then we've kind of built that into the business. So it's just using the business as a tool to do good things, um, which it is. It's a platform. You know, you have a business. That means you have an audience. You have customers. You have people who are kind of involved in what you're doing. And you can use that in any way that you you want to, really. Um, and this is just how we want to do it. You've also written a book on the concept of being rather than doing. But when you're running a business or even just working for a busy business, there's so much to do. So how do you focus on being rather than just doing every day? Oh, it is so hard. <laughs> I feel like this is I know, the hence why I'm asking. I struggle with it. <laughs> <laughs> it's the struggle of modern life. 
you know, we have so many obligations. We have so many things to do in a day. We don't just have to work. We have to look after our families. We have to think about our friends. We have to try and work on our personal development. We have to look after our health. You know, like the list is just endless of the things that we kind of, this pressure that we put on ourselves to do all these different things. And I'm, I'm terrible at this, you know, like that's why I wrote the book because I do like doing things. Um, and I like the satisfaction of ticking something off a list and being like, yep, you know, nailed that. But, um, yeah, I, I decided to focus on writing about things I'd like to be rather than do. And then that ended up being a book, but trying to bring that into, into a business, it is quite challenging because the whole, the whole thing's geared around doing. Um, but ways that I personally, uh, try and practice it. Um, I have a gratitude journal and so I write in that every day. Um, I have these virtue cards. And so when I'm out with the dogs in the morning, um, we'll pull one of those and then think about, okay, what is this virtue, whether it's like patience or generosity, um, and then reflect on it. And that's kind of the start to the day. Um, when I do my catch ups with team members, so the different people that I sort of directly manage, at the end of our catch-up of all the things we need to do and all our tasks, I'll, I'll ask them, okay, so what's your reflection for the week? Which is, you know, what have you been pondering on? What have you been thinking about as a person? Um, and it's, yeah, it's interesting bringing that into a, a sort of work context. And, and some people have initially been a little bit uncomfortable with it and sort of been like, oh, you want me to reflect on something? Oh, <laughs> sure. Um, but, but, you know, they kind of, they kind of get used to it and then they start sharing things. And, and I think that's really positive. I do that as well with our factory-wide catch-ups. I'll do a, a reflection, my own reflection for everyone at the end. So I get, it's just trying to integrate some of these things. And I don't think I'm doing it perfectly at all, um, but just at least trying. <laughs> do you have to be that deliberate and diligent with that sort of practice for it to actually work? I don't know. I think any effort is better than none. Like I think even if you did it for a few months out of the year, a gratitude journal or something, that'd be better than if you didn't do it at all. Obviously the best is if you can consistently stick with something and then it becomes a habit. And then it, it gets to the point where you're like, oh, I actually miss doing that. I, I wish I had sat down and meditated for a bit or I wish I had written in my gratitude journal today. And then you're kind of motivating yourself to do it. But before you get to that stage, you kind of have to make yourself do it like to build any, any sort of habit. How do you think that habit and that mindset has made you a better business owner, business leader, and your business itself better too? I think it's made me quite caring and also quite compassionate. I know how much I struggle with personally, <laughs> so then I can apply that to everyone else that I'm working with and I sort of see all the things that are going on in their lives. And, you know, they're not just workers coming and doing a task, they're humans who have a myriad of things going on in their minds and worlds and they bring all of that to work. Um, and so I, I have a real empathy for that and, and hopefully they feel that um, as well from me. But it's, yeah, I think we too often just kind of put people in a little box of what task they're doing and we don't see everything that's going on with them. People aren't robots, right? People are very complex, so complex. I mean, at times I feel like I have this family of 30 children, you know. It's like <laughs> That's a lot of kids. <laughs> you're worrying about all of them, wondering what's happening. Are they okay? What can I do for them? You know, it's a, lo it's a lot of responsibility, really, having people that you are directly managing and, and providing employment for. Well, speaking of responsibility, what have you and your business gained from working with Deloitte Private? Has it helped having them take on some responsibility for you? 
It has, yeah, especially at that kind of high level of advice um, because a lot of this is new to us and we're just learning things all along the way. Yeah, and in terms of like how to structure things and how to, to set up your various accounting systems and recommendations that they've made around how to streamline invoicing and, and all, all sorts of things, that's really helpful. I mean, you need all of that in a business and that's, those aren't skills that we had before. Tish, thank you so much for joining us. I loved your points that you made about people and planet and that profit can also go alongside those two things. Obviously, it's a pretty tough time for a lot of business owners out there at the moment, especially in the hospitality industry. So just lastly, I'd like to ask you for your advice to those business owners who are doing it pretty tough right now. Uh, yeah, I've seen I've seen this. I mean, yeah, in Raglan, it's, it's been a huge hit here. Is we're so reliant on tourism and people coming in and we just haven't had that for a long time. I think my piece of advice would be to just focus on yourself a little bit. I think business owners tend to focus on the needs of the business, the needs of the people within the business, customers, and then they put themselves right at the bottom of the list. So, yeah, taking some time out, especially heading into the new year, you know, it's a really good time to reflect and recharge a little bit. So maybe... Maybe they need to book themselves a little mini mini break, you know, and just just spend some time reflecting and, and going into the new year feeling a little bit more calm. Visit Raglan, perhaps? That's always a good idea. <laughs> I always recommend visiting Raglan. <laughs> Thank you so much for your time. That is Letitia Randall, the co-founder of Raglan Food Co. I'm Madison Reedy. Thank you for listening to On Point, brought to you by Deloitte Private. 